As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell, he scores the ball and he rebounds well. Here comes Luca. Even losses feel like wins. When you with your good friend Tim, it's 77 minutes in heaven. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the only Dallas Mavericks podcast that's about to cover their series against the Clippers. Um, only one period. Well, that also was correct, though. Yeah, if we're the only one, they're the only only one covering the the Clippers. Um, Good thing you guys are here. The only <sighs> only playoff basketball podcast, only one covered Mavs Clippers. What would they do without one? us? They, they, there's just a, there's nothing else out there, and it's just like yeah. that's that is that is a that is a problem, and we're here to fix it. We're doing what we can. So what we have today is we got we got Law Murray who covers the Clippers for us. Welcome, Law. How, how you doing, man? I feel great. It's good to have you on with Tim and Mike today. So. Thank you all for having me. Only Mavericks podcast that has the best Clippers beat writer on to talk about the series with us. So it's a good thing you guys are here. It's a great thing that Law is here. One of my oldest friends in the business. One of the smartest basketball minds in the business. Uh, And he has seen a lot of Clipper ball this season. Um, But I think you're a good guy to have some perspective on this because you didn't cover this team last year. You only covered this team this year. And I feel like when the very easy temptation going into this series and to say, oh, well, we saw some of this last year, right? It's a rematch. But this Clipper team is not the same Clipper team that was around last year. I think falling into that trap is probably the first thing you got to get your mind out of when examining this series. So for you, what is different about this Clipper team? And especially what is different about this Clipper team post-deadline? Because this is, you know, not even just a different team from last year. This is a different team of two halves of the season. Yeah, it starts with Ty Lue. You know, uh, last year was the last the the Mavericks Clippers series wound up being the last one that Doc Rivers would win as head coach of the LA Clippers. I don't think anyone really foresaw that when that series ended, but here we are, not even a, a year later. And then when you talk about the rosters, last year you had Montrez Harrell, who actually struggled mightily against the Mavericks, especially especially against bit players like Boban Marjanovic, former Clipper, friend of. Not probably y'all program, but uh, Clippers fans 
and everybody they love Boban, right? Friend so everyone, uh, I think friend of everybody. There is, I think Boban's yeah, everybody's friend of, friend. Friend of the world, except that friend one ref who rejected him. That was that was weird, and we, you know, he. No, Boban's Boban even a friend of the that Justin guy. Bieber one of them. Dude, trust me, Boban's <laughs> like, hey, you made a mistake, but uh, you know, it's not it's not his fault. He's not going to hold that against nah, him. I'm saying that that ref was hating on Boban. That's yes, what I'm that's saying. correct. Yes, and I'm saying Boban doesn't have any hate in, in his entire body, which is impressive. He has more body than than most of us, and he has no Facts. hate towards that ref. Facts. You know, he's like, you know, yeah, everybody has bad days. So he is he he's he's a a real salt of the earth creature, man. Uh, <laughs> Boban forever, for real, for real. I'd vote for that man. But when it comes to these rosters, uh, Montrez, even though he was the sixth man of the year last year. Uh, he struggled in that series, and then his struggles in the following series w- was a big part of the demise of the Clippers last year. And the Clippers really don't have one of those targeted players, especially inside, that you can look at and be like, he's food, you know. Um, they decided that Avitsa Zubas is going to remain the starter. Uh, so with that and with Marcus Morris and Patrick Beverly with the two All-Stars, you're actually getting the same starting lineup this year as you did in last year's playoffs. I don't think Teron Lue came into the season thinking that was going to be the case, which is, that was his thinking when Serge Ibaka was signed that he was going to be the starter. But Serge's back issues put Zoo in a position to take that role back. And because Serge's game didn't fall off. He just needed two months to get his health right. Now you have a second unit full of vets, full of guys who have a defensive presence. And there you would you would think that the Clippers should actually feel better about themselves defensively in this series. My concern with the Clippers as far as how they're different this year compared to that team that beat the Mavericks last year comes down to the offensive diversity. Last year's Clippers, they got to the free throw line at an extremely high rate, and you knew who those guys were who was getting there. Not just Kawhi and PG in the starting lineup, but Trez and Lou Williams off the bench. And that's where that midseason trade comes in. They decided that they needed the kind of ball handling and defense and on-court IQ elevation that Rajon Rondo brings. But they also knew what they were sacrificing. They were sacrificing a perimeter score in Lou a guy who can get to the line, who can bait you into the kind of perimeter fouls that normally guys don't draw. And this Clippers team outside of PG and Kawhi is really three-pointer bust. And that's going to be interesting going up against this Dallas defense. Yeah, I remember Zubac, you know, he he started, but I remember the one of the through lines of that series of, of last year was that he wasn't playing enough and that Trez wasn't effective and that Zubac should have been playing a lot more. I remember... Jovan Buha, who who was on the beat last year, he he kept talking about that and thinking that Zubac was the one who should have been getting way more minutes. And I tend to agree. You know, I I, I don't think that that's a perfect matchup for for Porzingis. I I think it it you know Zubac is probably someone who can push him around a little bit. And then it's 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 back to just being one big man. And and I think that the big question is how the Mavericks are going to line up to to start with what what their starting units are going to be. And you know, as I wrote about it, and as me and Mike discussed it, you know, a lot of it came down to what we were thinking is is what their matchup was going to be whether it's going to be la or denver and i think denver would have given more opportunities for the team to go bigger like they have most of this season with a big man next to um next to porzingis but that seems unlikely to me or it seems like it's not the best idea but i also kind of have a gut feeling that rick's going to run out the same starting lineup that that he he used to close the season i i think 
you know, I guess it sets them up for a quick adjustment if, if needed, you know, maybe as soon as the second half, but it's a gut feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's the, the right, uh, lineup, but I guess you can get there quickly. Uh, I don't know if you have any feelings on this, Mike. It's just this series, you know, we, we did a sort of a column conversation, what, two weeks ago now, kind of previewing the possibilities when we knew it was basically LA or Denver. And I, I don't think this is, you know, new analysis for anybody. Denver was a better option. Uh, in terms of what this Mavericks personnel is. And so I could see Rick starting big because that's what's been working for them lately, but it's not ideal. The problem is if you go smaller, I don't think that's ideal either. You know, so much of this Mavericks offseason was built around let's find more wing options that we could put out there in a series against a Clipper team because last year they didn't have nearly enough. Well, fast forward, uh, I mean, not a full year, right? So fast forward, uh, what, nine months? they're not that much better off, right? A lot of this has to do with Josh Richardson just not acclimating the way anybody hoped. Josh uh, Josh Green hasn't played enough to be a factor. Um, and so what are you left with? You are, you know, as Tim wrote this this morning, but basically there are not many options that you work with. It's going to be Dorian Finney-Smith. There's going to be a lot of Dorian in this series. Um, there's going to be some of Josh. There's going to be Tim Hardaway, and Tim's not necessarily an excellent wing defender, but Tim's going to have to be on the floor for his offense. The real trouble with this team is if you go big and the Clippers punish you by going smaller, well, you can't defend them that way. If you try to go small and match up with the Clippers, you're playing in other hands because you don't have an ideal number of wing defenders. And then you're probably losing the biggest advantage you might have on the offensive end, which is if Dwight Powell looks better and he has rounded a form a bit more of these last 15 games, you can do things with him and Porzingis that I don't think this Clipper team is necessarily equipped to stop in the interior. Yeah, Maxi is is also a big question here. Who just his health? Uh, the latest update on his availability is that he did very limited practice work on on Tuesday in in the practice this morning, right before uh, we re- are recording this. But it, it does seem like it's going to be a little touch and go as as the as the week develops. Um, Rick Carlisle said that tomorrow is going to be a big day to kind of gauge whether he's going to be able to play in Saturday's game one, which it's it's confirmed Saturday. We don't have a time yet, but. It, game one will be will be saturday i don't remember maxi being particularly you know he was by no means a quiet stopper I, I think that he limited yeah. him getting to the rim a bit um maybe prevented him from some of his favorable post matchups but i, I don't recall maxi being very effective at even always contesting when when Kawhi got to his spots uh based off watching him all season like what what type of defender does best against Kawhi with with the you know, with the idea that nobody's going to play him perfectly, nobody's going to play any superstar perfectly. Like, what type of defender does has worked best on Kawhi? Because I kind of think there isn't an ideal one on the Mavericks roster. Law, honestly, I think what Dorian Finney-Smith said this morning about how Dorian thinks that Kawhi is not the fastest guy, but he's strong and he gets to his spots. I do. You, you can kind of see why Dallas would be moved to have a bigger player on him, you know, uh, because Kawhi is deliberate in his game. Kawhi is actually the only Clipper who reliably gets to the free throw line. And actually Dallas kept him off the free throw line for the most part uh, in the two games that Kawhi played in Dallas this year. And Maxi started both of those games. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith started one of those games and actually was one of the more effective players on the floor. When Dorian was off the floor, the Mavericks weren't good. And when Maxi was on the floor, they didn't look good against Kawhi this year. So I think really, if you're if you're going to have someone on Kawhi, you don't want to put anyone small on them because he'll destroy that matchup. 
because if you put someone smaller on Kawhi, then he's going to post up. He'll be in the mid-range. He will draw the fouls. If he gets a double team, the Clippers are not the team to mess around and have your defense collapse against because they have shooters everywhere. And so if you're Dallas, I honestly, I feel like you should just stay big. The Clippers aren't going to run on you. They're not going to run around you. And the, they're, they're, they're quite deliberate in where they're trying to get to. And so if it's, if it's Dodo, if it's Maxi, those are probably the best shots at staying with Kawhi. And you're trying to limit him. Kawhi's going to get his. You're trying to stop the others and then primarily Paul George. And that's where I feel like a guy like Josh Richardson, his role is going to be interesting because Paul's been fined twice in the last two years. And both of those fines came after games against Josh Richardson. <laughs> That's the two different fact. teams. <laughs> no other podcast is talking about this. That We've is, got it. No, that is, We've that got is it. There you go. Law Murray factoid. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Finney Smith is like Finney Smith isn't. You know, size wise, like t- height and wingspan, he'll be fine. I, I do not trust him not to get moved around by Kawhi, and I think that's like he's going to spend plenty of time defending him. But I think that's what we're that's what the Mavericks are going to run into. Yeah, I mean, it's look. If the, if the situation Dallas has to deal with is you've got two guys you got to figure out how to guard, well, until proven otherwise, the situation is reversed. It's a lot easier for LA. It's figure out a way to slow down Luka and make other people beat you. Nobody actually slows down Luka Doncic, but the Clippers are, have more options that are probably better equipped to do that than I think any other team in the West at this point. So, you know, we saw these teams in the playoff series last year. We saw them play three very different games this year. Uh, Law, what do you expect as far as how the, what's Ty Lue's strategy going to be to try and slow down Doncic? What Ty mentioned right after Sunday's game is they're going to they're, they're going to put a lot of emphasis on just making him uncomfortable. And Luca scored forty two on St. Patrick's Day in Dallas to beat the Clippers. That was a game where Luca got his shot going early. And it was a wrap from there. Dallas took- plus Luca is Irish, so I mean he was always going to play well that day. Luca is so multicultural, man. Like <laughs> first, he really do, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do y'all talk about Rachel still? I, I, I mean, I've been meaning to ask somebody in Dallas this, like, because I heard he was a big Friends fan, and <laughs> I just wanted to we, know I if that, that was that still stopped a thing. after the beginning. In the beginning, that was like a big Luca talking point. And I think it's sort of faded by the wayside. But I don't know. I mean, hey, they're doing the reunion special, what, right in the middle of the, of the first series? Maybe Luke, maybe that gets Luca hyped. Maybe he gets him real fired up. We need, we need to bring that back. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Maybe even bring the Rachel back. That might be something from Mike. <laughs> <laughs> in in the same be- way that Tim Hardaway always plays better with his dad or a family member in the stands. If you just get Aniston in the American Airlines Center, what, like, <laughs> Career high, Luka's sixty going for points. 90. Like it's if Jen Aniston shows up at the AAC, Luca's going for ninety. Oh, oh easy, easy. Uh, anyway, I derailed you. <laughs> I dig- I digress. I I that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> I digress. The main thing Ty Lu is going to want to do is make Luca. He's he's just going to have to make him uncomfortable. And yes, the Clippers have many defenders. There's three in the starting line, actually four in the Clippers starting line who could take them. And Vince Zubats actually did a fair job on the perimeter in one game against Lucas. So, I mean, there's go- there might be some switching involved. There's going to be plenty of defensive adjustments. There might be some zone. There's it's it's just a matter of I think the key is last year 
Doc Rivers talked about not letting Luka Doncic get comfortable as a passer. And when Luka's turnover spiked, Dallas had no chance, especially considering the fact that the Clippers beat them on the boards. I'm not sure that the, this Clippers team is as effective at taking the ball away. Actually, they were pretty bad that last year, too. But again, that just goes to show Luka's turnovers is going to be something to watch in this series. And to me, I think the bigger difference is you can't let Luka get comfortable. Kawhi was incredibly annoyed that Luka got six threes on St. Patrick's Day uh, on, on March 17th. And that was just a matter of you know what he does well. You know, what does everyone remember from last year's Lakers Maverick series? They don't talk about the or the Clippers Maverick series. They don't talk about the Clippers winning it. They talk about how game four ended. That step back from the left wing. Like that is a shot that the Clippers are like, you can't let him get to that spot. You can't let him get to his right hand. So guarding Luka is going to be fascinating. The Clippers have options that start and they have Nicholas Batum who they feel comfortable rolling with and Terrence Mann even might get some spot minutes Terrence Mann for his first preseason he got in Luka Doncic's face that told you that he was ready for the smoke so it's going that that's pretty much what it is he can't be comfortable so you know look the Mavericks lost the series last year and you know, Law's point about once the turnover started spiking, don't make Luca comfortable as a passer because then Dallas had no answer. If you want to feel better about this series, if you want to feel better about Dallas' chances this time around, well, it's twofold. It's one, Jalen Brunson's on the floor, and Jalen Brunson didn't play last year. And Jalen Brunson is also a significantly better player this year than he was last year. That's going to help both from having another scoring option on the floor as well as a secondary ball handler. The second, the second aspect of this, and this is the elephant in the room, and I'm going to ask Tim about this right now, is Christoph Porzingis, right? This was the, you know, go back to a year ago, before Porzingis tears his meniscus in this, you know, in this series, he played the best ball that they, you know, of his Dallas tenure by a long shot. He looked like everything you wanted him to look like. Since then, it's been a little more up and down. He's taken a lot more the last several weeks off. He's going to be on the floor. The hope is that Kristaps Porzingis plays like the guy who they want to be Luka's second option. That said, if this were a Denver series, you know that that's, that's conducive to Kristaps Porzingis staying on the floor, doing what he wants to do for the bulk of the series because Nikola Jokic is on the floor. It's a different ballgame with the Clippers. Tim, what do you expect from Porzingis? And are there scenarios where, look, there were moments this season, not many, but some were when the chips were down and they needed a win Rick didn't play him in crunch time. He played Maxi at the five. We don't know what Maxi's situation is, but how much can Porzingis stay on the floor against the Clippers in key situations? And what are you realistically expecting him to be able to do? Because that, in a lot of ways, is probably the difference between how much you can reasonably expect Dallas to take a level up and really compete in this series versus being where they were last year. If he's at bubble offensive levels, he's staying on the court. You know, like there, there is a, there is a level of offensive value that Porzingis can reach that will keep him on the court even if he is at times a defensive liability um the defense will matter I agree you know uh he's had no more than like week-long stretches maybe a few weeks at a time where I've really seen his defense um consistently be positive It, it you know his shot blocking numbers are down this season uh certainly there was times he was very very immobile on the perimeter and recovering uh, one one thing to think about, and, and I'm writing a little bit more about Luca and KP and their their partnership uh, later in the week. But you know, if if you get Luca and KP in a pick and roll, KP's tendency is to drop. 
uh they usually play drop cover which with him to play effective drop cover the guard has to get over the screen and that is something that luca is easily probably easily his worst aspect as as a defender that and you know just zoning out here and there but you know luca doesn't fight over picks well and if you don't do that then all of a sudden it is a two-on-one attacking the basket with a not as mobile as you'd like him to be Porzingis having to backtrack and then, and then track two people at once. That's a really bad situation to be in. And that's obviously the, you know, supposed to be your, your star duo They they you're, you're counting, you're banking on them to be on the court and, and doing, you know, everything that they, you know, their ceilings would make them capable on the offensive end. If, if, if they're going to be that easy to attack. Um, and again, the, the Mavericks are going to try to hide and, and, you know, put Luca on, on favorable matchups as much as they can, but you know, that's what happens in the playoffs. Like you can hunt switches, you can hunt defenders, and you can really go after and target the same player over and over again. And and that concerns me. You know, just that you know the the two things that that allow them to get by defensively that that Luca is a, a pretty decent man defender, uh, all things considered. Particularly when he's locked in, he's got good instincts, but he doesn't fight over screens that well. He isn't an amazing pick and roll player, and neither is Porzingis. And and that's that's immediately where any team looking at Dallas is like, all right, we're going to attack that. We're going we're gonna to try to get downhill movement, you know, ball handlers moving downhill at Porzingis, ideally you know, with a, with a roller as well, and Luka's going to be trailing behind because he's out of the play. Sure, you can move someone over, but you know, this is a team, as, as Law said, with shooters all around the court. And, and so that's, that's just the, the most obvious way that, that jumps to mind. If, you know, if, I, if I was the Clippers scout in charge of you know, looking at Dallas and, and saying this is this is this is how we're going to attack them. That's that's the one that immediately stands out, and so that's a huge question for for Luca, but but also Porzingis. And you know, if, if Porzingis's value uh, on the offensive end is not you know peaking, if it's not significantly you know in into the the twenties in terms of points he's scoring, or you know if he's not consistently hitting and knocking down open threes, yeah, I, I do have some concern that the team might have to pull him from the court because you can't pull Luca. Uh, obviously not. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's not, you know, it's it's not really an indictment on, on Porzingis to to some level. Uh, he needs to hit shots and he needs to score. But but yeah, I, I agree that that's the concern. And if he's not doing that at a very high level, um, which again, when last time these two teams played, we saw that they, they he was. But if he's not doing that, yeah, I do. I do have some concerns and I, I do worry about, you know, just how how efficiently, how effectively the Clippers are going to be able to target him. Uh, you know, the more they're able to do that, the more ruthless they're going to be able to be in terms of making sure that Luca gets matched on to Paul George, that he gets matched on to Kawhi. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a concern. And uh, how they how they react to that, both of those players, I think, will will have a huge impact on how effective Porzingis is able to be the series. Um, of course, as I said, along with with the shot making. So this morning. Uh, and if you guys haven't read it yet, I mean, this will be timely leading up till the game. But Tim and Law did a conversation playoff preview, required reading, very smart stuff. And in there, before we get to serious predictions, in there, Law called his shot very early. He thinks Dallas is winning game one. Um, I want to I want to hear your justification for this. What is what makes you think Dallas is going to do that and essentially flip home court advantage so early in this thing? I just feel like when it comes to the Clips, they haven't played a real game in a long time. Um, like because of how the end of the regular season went, I really just feel like they're going to go what more than a week uh, between their best players going out and having to try and win a game. And then you get Dallas who Dallas has been playing pretty much like playoff, playoff basketball for the last several weeks. 
uh, I, I just feel like Dallas will come in and they'll be a lot more sure of what they're doing early on than the Clippers will Saturday night. I like Interesting. it. It's, it's bold. Yeah, Tim, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Mavericks aren't playing sparkling basketball, I would say, coming into the postseason, but they've, they've certainly been on a much better run if if you kind of think of the past month and and consolidate that whereas as as you kind of detailed law i mean it, the the past month has been a, a fairly clear job to make sure that the 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 clippers avoided the the lakers and had no business and and no part of that as as the lakers lakers continue to sink and sink so you know yeah the the mavericks i i think they're going to be in a in a fairly decent spot you know i'm not super worried about them coming out flat or for any anything like that um it, I'm just, I got, I come back to the the starting lineup for for Dallas. Um, I, and I know we touched on this, but I, I don't think we circle back. Like, what, which which player would you, you know? I think we have four locked in. It's it's definitely gonna be Luca Porzingis. It's definitely gonna be Hardaway. It's definitely gonna be Finney Smith. I don't see any way that they drop Finney Smith or Hardaway at this point. Who do you go with fifth, Mike? And and how quickly, you know, do you go with a player that you can quickly shift away from, call an adjustment, have that flexibility? Do you go big? Do you stay big? Do you put Josh Richardson back in, who was benched for the first time all season, or specifically came off the bench for the first time all season in the last three games of the season? It's, you know, the answer I think is going to give us a really interesting viewpoint of where Rick's mind is going into this, right? If you're starting Josh Richardson, you are essentially allowing that, yes, we are letting the Clippers personnel dictate what we do, right? I mean, if, if Rick were confident in that starting line of going to the postseason, you want to drop Josh right before the postseason, right before the playoffs begin. So if you go right back to him at the start of the series, that is an admission that, yes, we are concerned about how the Clippers line up. We need to be reactive. If you go out there and you're starting Dwight Powell, it's an, it's more of a position of strength. It's saying, hey, we like what we're doing. We like that we can go big. We can force the issue. As Law said, that might be the way to exploit some of the Clippers, you know, I wouldn't say personal weaknesses, but at the very least to exploit matchups that are favorable to you. I think to start, I think he probably goes Dwight because it's what he's done lately. And who does Rick Carlisle trust on this team more than Dwight Powell? It's a very short list, if anybody. And I think you go with that and I think you see what this lineup gets you. And I think you adjust from there. I mean, this has been one of the great strengths of Rick Carlisle. I, I think if there's something you could count on is that if this series does go a long way, Dallas has the coach who has proven he can make the adjustments. Has proven that he's probably the better in-game tactician because there are very few better than Rick Carlisle at that. Um, I mean, this team won an NBA championship in large part because of a key starting lineup adjustment. You know, the J.J. Barea move against Miami. So I think Rick will go out and probably do what he wants to do and see how that works and trust that, hey, if I need to, if I need to switch it up, I might. Especially because, again, if, if Maxi Kleba's health is one of the wild cards – you know, maybe depending on how light, you know, light a workload you give him in the beginning, or maybe if he sits out entirely, you know, early on, you're hoping that if I have to make a move midway through, maybe Maxi is that move if he can come back midway through the series at something close to full strength. But I think they start off going big and you see where that gets you and just try to adjust from there. I mean, the reality is, is that, look, this team doesn't give him a number of options that he can dependably rely on regardless, right? There are only so many moves. And we talked about this on the podcast all season. This is a short, you know, every team is going eight or nine guys in the postseason. That's been Dallas all year. There are not a lot of curveballs that Rick Carlisle will probably throw in this series that you haven't seen play a lot because Rick doesn't trust a lot of this roster right now. So there are only probably two or three moves that he can make to really shake things up. But I think for now, this is what the lineup he's chose will be. I think he's going to lean on Dwight Powell's experience and just hope that that big man you know, combination up front will get Dallas some headway early on. And if it doesn't, maybe it's back to Richardson pretty soon. 
Law, talk to us about the the Clippers defensively this year. Would you be concerned about a a true pick and roll threat, uh, a roller, a rolling big man, starting the the series against them? Nah, because the Clippers aren't really worried about roll men. Uh, what the Clippers concern in terms of pick and roll defense would be the ball handler. Uh, Luca, in particular, has been outstanding in the pick and roll. Like he does a great job keeping guys behind him once once they're on his backside and he gets to the line at a high rate. Um he gets to the paint, he gets to his spots, he finds his his recipients as far as making the pass when he does make the pass. So that's that's a concern. But then again, I'm not overly concerned about the Clippers defense in this series just because they have Dan. Um, they, they have a they have a great assistant coach in uh, in Dan Craig. Uh, he was on the Miami staff, and if you know one thing about what the Miami Heat did last year, they mixed up their defenses a lot. Uh, they liberally used zoned, um, and they disrupted the flow of several good playoff teams last year uh, on their way to an Eastern Conference championship and pushing. Uh, the NBA Finals to six games, even though they were shorthanded. Uh, Dan probably has more to work with with this Clippers team, uh, working with Ty Lu than even last year in Miami. Uh, so that's the that's the thing about the Clippers' uh, defense that's going to be interesting. And the other part is it's Ty Lu. If there's one thing that anyone should know about Ty Lu, it's from from the Cleveland days. It's that. Whatever you saw in the regular season, you can probably forget about it. There's a bag coming, and I'm very – that's going to be the most exciting part of the first few games of this series is what does Ty Lue have for the postseason that he hasn't been showing during the regular season? So, so the thing about their defenders is, like, first of all, Zubov's, Zubach moves. Like he is, he is a mobile defender. You know, you're not, you don't want him getting switched on to Luca, but he's able to do that or or hold his own here and there. More specifically than that, though, if the Mavericks go with two big men, Dwight Powell is not being guarded by a big man. It's it's probably going to be Kawhi and Paul George on one on Luca and Powell. It's it's going to be those two defenders, or or maybe Marcus Morris gets is lumped in there. But you're going to be guarding him with you know Powell with a wing because you're not worried about him shooting or driving. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think they think Morris can, you know, hold his own and keep him off the glass. Not something that Powell's like a, a monster at by any means. And so you bring Powell into a pick and roll with Luca. What what are what are they going to do? But just switch. They're just going to switch. They're going to switch one wing defender they have onto Luca. Uh, they're going to have a wing defender on Luca. They're going to switch another one in, onto him. Like like this is this is an, a very e- easy neutralization of a this type of pick and roll. Like I, I don't see how. Powell necessarily would be effective like I don't think that he's going to have a lot of chances to really get moving down the lane uh, because it's just it's so easy to switch that just based off the way they're going to play them um, Zubac is obviously going to have Porzingis I, I expect that to be the case but Porzingis is not the role man that that you know that that Powell is and, and so I guess if you run a lot of Luka KP pick and roll uh, something that has never really lived up to his expectations as as far as it should for you know those being the the two offensive players on this team you know the two stars then you know I, I guess you try to hurt with a pick and pop if I remember back to the Clippers series all right you know when it, when I was looking back at the box scores and what we wrote and you know highlights and a little bit of film like that's that's where he was able to hurt them a bit he he was a pick and pop guy and and he did he did kind of find spots from eighteen and fifteen and they're relatively open 
I think the Clippers are pretty okay with Porzingis just saying, you know, just looking at him and being like, yeah, you shoot a bunch of jumpers. You, you know, he's not a, he's not a incredible wide open maker. You know, like it's, it's always been the weird thing about him is that he gets a lot of open threes and, and doesn't make them at the rate that I've ever thought someone with his, you know, reputation, but also his mechanics and, and just how he looks as a player. He doesn't make them as often as he should. So I, I think I think that's why, you know, that's really why I've been saying that I, I don't see how they can start pal or or if they do, I, I honestly think it will be a second half adjustment or or at minimum a, a game two adjustment. Right. Yeah. You know, if you want to throw him out there for consistency's sake, I guess so. Like I, I don't I'm not, you know, out here going to write a fire Rick Carlisle column after game one if that's the starting lineup. I, I think that there are some reasons you could defend that and and say it's defensible, but I just don't see how how Powell's going to be effective when I, I do think that, you know, every pick and roll with him is, is going to be a switch because they have that many wing defenders that that can spread around the court and and still switch onto and, and still bother Luca. And, and that is why the Clippers in some ways, and we said this last year, in some ways they're built in a lab to to neutralize what Dallas does best. Right. And, and Honestly, that's, that's, if you're, I guess that's my concern. I if if I, if I were to Dallas Mavericks and I'm clearly not, uh I would absolutely consider Willie Cauley Stein minutes more than Dwight Powell minutes. And what it, the reason I bring that up is because of what I alluded to earlier about the rebounding. Um Willie Cauley Stein's probably a little bit more of an option against perimeter um, options. And you know what Willie is capable of as far as just being active on both glasses, not just the defensive glass, but also on the offensive glass, putting pressure on what the Clippers do best defensively, which is closing and ending possessions with rebounds. Um, that's what Porzingis honestly needs to do. I think the game where Porzingis played and was good, it wasn't about his offense as far as his shooting and scoring. He actually scored pretty well in the game that they lost that he played in. It's the fact that he was able to out-rebound Zoo. He was able to get those second-chance scoring opportunities. That's the thing. The the unicorn uh, phenomenon in New York when it came to KP, it wasn't just that he was tall and skilled. It was that he would... He would boom on you if you miss shots. Like those second chance scoring opportunities matter. If you can beat the Clippers on the glass, that improves your chances significantly. And I'm not sure if Dwight Powell's that player. Um, like we saw how good Dwight Powell can be uh, in prime time against against the Lakers as, as a role man, as a cleanup guy, as a finisher. But I'm talking, you got to consider the matchup. And maybe this isn't a Dwight Powell series. This is more of a, you know, get KP as the only big on the floor series or just with Maxi Kleber when he gets healthy and when he's off, Willie, and, and that's it. I don't think you can play too many bigs against the Clips. Yeah, I mean, for the record, my my prediction that they will start Dwight is not necessarily a prediction that this will end well or that this is something they do a lot. It's more, I think this is going to be his comfort zone to begin, right? And especially if, if he's I matched I think you just said he's going to be the team the, the team's MVP. <laughs> yes, that is. And in yes. their finals run. That's what I heard. So You heard that that Laker game is just his baseline, and he's going to do that every night. Um, uh, exactly. I think it Lakers is. Lakers fans are very upset about that game. <laughs> I don't blame them. Uh, As if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> that is, this is not a prediction that this is the right move or the move that will go well. I just think it is the baseline that Rick will begin with, and we and he will map from there what works. I think the fact that it is, you know, I mean, look, the fact that it is de- it's his default position is partly trust in Dwight, but it is partly as Tim said, this is not a great matchup for for the Mavericks. There is no ideal answer. 
That's really what I keep coming back to. But you know, we'll get to the actual predictions in a minute. But I don't think there is an obvious yes. This is the right move. Maybe if Maxi gets healthy enough, you try that, and that gets you something. But I, it, it's it's almost like a little bit of a sliding tile puzzle, right? Any adjustment this team makes to try and do something to to account for what the Clippers do, there will be some other hole exposed. It's just not the best outcome for who they want to be playing in the first round. Um, the other aspect of this too, you know, we talked about the two stars. Uh, how do you feel about the depth of this Clippers team? And, you know, out of those role players, who do you trust to be able to step up and handle, you know, a high pressure series like this? I mean, some of the cast the same, some of the cast is different. You mentioned Nick Batum, who I pretty sure a year ago, nobody's sitting there expecting Nick Batum to play quality playoff minutes, but here we are. Even the Clippers weren't. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, how many guys are you expecting Ty to throw out there and how many do you necessarily trust in a series like this? Well, I'm going to tell y'all now, the spiciest part of this series is going to be Rajon Rondo's impact. Mike, that's that's what you want to talk about. Let's talk about it. Rick like, Carlisle's favorite point guard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure the Clippers made that trade with the Mavericks in mind, but might as well, you know. You think Rajon's not going to be motivated to, you know, turn on his playoff Rondo hat for this series? Like... God, Rajon, I just realized he is absolutely going to hit 55% on threes this entire series. He's going to have yeah. like three games where he hits at least like four. The real the real winner of this is Marcus Morris, who was utterly despised in Dallas last year. And now nobody is going to think about Marcus Morris again because Rondo is on the floor for the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me tell you, like Rajon was brought here and I felt it was an immediate talent downgrade. And I thought it was going to be rough on the locker room that revered Lou Williams. Uh, Lou Williams loved this. He he wanted all the smoke. You know what I mean? Like, he wanted to be a Clipper. He wanted this team to be great. And he was highly motivated, even in his waning years, to the point where he basically openly threatened retirement if the Clippers were to ever part with him. So the Clippers knew that, and the only player that it could possibly be acceptable to trade Lou and bring in is Rajon because he has that championship experience which a lot of that's cliche but then when you understand how smart he is you understand the kind of respect that he also gets then you start to understand and then Rajon actually played good regular season basketball for the Clippers he was he was not good for the Hawks um, on the floor he was good for the Clippers he did increase the pace he did get to the basket every now and again he did somehow make a high percentage of not just his threes but his free throws Rajon Rondo made free throws for the Clippers man like he attempted only two free throws in his whole minutes with the Atlanta Hawks earlier this season I'm talking about Rajon more than anybody else because he's that's the kind of player that the Clips didn't have you know I mean, there's a reason Reggie Jackson's ankles were snatched by Luca on that game four game winner. Because then no one else could be on the floor. You know what I mean? Patrick Beverly was hurt. He's healthy now. That's great. But the Clippers were still like, we need insurance for that. We need insurance for, to make sure Reggie is in a better position to succeed, which Reggie is basically the Lou replacement because Reggie's played great basketball this year as a shooter. He's not the scorer or the decision maker that 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 uh, Lou Williams is, but he's a it's, it's a lateral move defensively. And Reggie's jump shot has been great. And it's going to help Reggie to play with who? Rajon Rondo, that's your second unit. Your second unit is going to be Rondo, Jackson, Batum, 
Serge Ibaka, if he's ready to roll, and one of Kawhi or PG. You're not getting any all-bench units. This isn't a dot team. Ty Lue is basically going to play Kawhi the whole first quarter, and then Paul's going to start the second quarter with the bench, and they're going to manage halves that way. And you said if if there's one X factor, I guess, for to use that cliche, that means nothing. But if there's one, you know, one player that you just didn't name, a bench guy, a deep bench guy who would pop in, it's probably going to be Terrence Mann. No, no chance for Luke Kennard to be that guy. I don't think this is a Luke Kennard series. Uh, I really don't. Um, just just because for Luke, Luke's an outstanding shooter, but Luke tends to be food on defense and. This is, I just feel like like this is, yeah, the wrong kind of snack, man. So, like, this is the kind of series where you need to be decisive and you need all your players to be able to take advantage of their matchups. The thing with Luke is he's a great shooter, but he doesn't always take advantage of the shots available to him. Maybe he figures into one of these games if, you know, Ty needs to switch it up and he does need someone to be like, Luke, we're down 10 you have no choice. Shoot the damn ball. You know, Luke is one of those shooters who does every damn thing else. But because he does everything else, he forgets what he's best at sometimes and just is there. That I don't think Ty has time for that. So, you know, you're not going to see a lot of man. You're not going to see a lot of Luke Kennard. But um, Terrence Mann then would be the X factor because when Terrence gets in, he makes things happen. He hits dudes. He can drive. He can elevate his game. And he gets he gets a little bit too foul prone on the perimeter. I think that's going to be an issue against uh, Luca in particular. But if there's an X factor guy, if foul trouble happens, if one of these weird random injuries happens because it's the Clippers and this always happens, yeah, Terrence Mann's going to be ready to play after the season that he had. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Mike, after after the written convo that me and Law had, I felt more optimistic about the series for in the in the Mavericks perspective. Um, after this, I, I think I think I'm back to where I was, where I just don't think this is a this is a matchup. And, and to be clear, um, I was talking to someone this morning. Um, you you know who I was talking to, Mike, a person. 
And and I was I was just talking about the you know he asked me about the the team's chances and, and what I thought about them and I view the Mavericks as a team that can rise to the level that can beat just about anybody um, in a in a series in a series even um, I don't view them as a consistent enough team to beat uh, to win like two three certainly not four playoff series in a row I I think that they just rely too much on the on the role players who are capable in moments and stretches not capable enough consistently to you know be as good as they need to even if luca and kp are are as good as you hope they can be so i think that's that's where i'm at i'm not ruling out the mavericks winning i I certainly think it could happen um i I don't like the matchup i i I didn't like the matchup i i still don't i i you know there was a reason that we were all looking at Denver as as the more vulnerable of the of the two teams if if Dallas was to draw them just because the matchups made more sense there and I just don't think they do. I mean after last year's series I, I think you you know in the way they pushed them the, the idea that the Mavericks are healthier uh, I think this is a, a a huge huge question mark series for Jalen Brunson to see how effective he's able to be because we've talked about how he's a a floor guy and not a ceiling guy a high floor but but doesn't necessarily raise your ceiling. This is the type of matchup with a you know really good defensive guards on the other side with uh with obviously Beverly but but also Rondo and, and then just a bunch of wings that you know when the floor gets scrambled he's still going to have really good defenders on him if he's not be able to be effective like that that concerns me and, and that's already one role player that's that's down and limited and and not going to be as as effective as as we've seen throughout the the season which has been crucial absolutely vital to the team's success is what Brunson was able to be here and there you know i i think hardaway will be fine and fairly consistent especially on the run he's been on uh we'll see if maxi is healthy dwight powell may may be useful off off the second unit i think i i'm little i'm a little worried about brunson and and if he's not able to be effective throughout the series just because of how big the players guarding him are or how pesty they are pesty Pesky, 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 pesky. I was, I was like, you know, Beverly is a pest. He's a pesky pest. Okay, yes, that's how it is. And by no means is he pesto. Um, when you consider that, yeah, I do have a, I do have a concern about the role players just, just being consistent and being good enough. And and so that's, I think that's where I'm at. You know, if if Mike, Mike, if you're gonna make me do a prediction, I I can do that too. But you know, in terms of in terms of an overall idea, yeah. What's your prediction? Let's get it out there. I mean, so this is why in the written convo, I was like, pick the three most likely outcomes. And it was just, it was just, yeah, but we're on the airways now, man. Airways are for takes. So let's hear it. What's what's the prediction? Y'all, y'all give them first. If you're going to put me on the spot, you at least have to go first and then, then flip to law and I'll, I'll riff off you guys. Fair enough. Uh, My prediction, it's funny that we begin this podcast by saying this is not the same Clipper team. This is not the same Maverick team, but I do think this is going to go the same way that this one last year. I think this is Clippers and six. I just get back to, there are everything Dallas wants to do. The Clippers have either an easy answer for it, or at least, you know, in the case of just containing Luka Doncic, which nobody can fully do, they have the best way, they have the best game plan to do it. They have the best personnel to do it, you know, better than probably anybody else in the West versus I just think the Clippers do too many things that I don't know if the Mavericks have an answer for it. I'm with you that we're going to learn a lot about Jalen Brunson in this series. We're learning a lot about Christoph Porzingis in the series. You know, Tim has written this before. Tim and I have talked about this on this podcast before. Uh, setting aside how many series this team can win, even if they win this series, the if you are a Mavericks fan and you want something positive 
What is your preferred positive realistic outcome that can come from this? Is Kristaps Porzingis playing as well as Kristaps Porzingis can realistically play? Because then one of two things are true. Either A, you feel a lot better about, you go back to where you were 18 months ago thinking this is the guy next to Luka Doncic in the bigger picture. Because even if he is that, for the record, even if Kristaps Porzingis plays like Kristaps Porzingis, I don't think this roster is a championship roster regardless right now. They still need another key piece alongside these guys. You probably need the role players to kind of, some of them to level up a little bit. So even if Porzingis plays like what he is capable of, this isn't a team that's winning the title. That's totally fine right now for this being their second year of the postseason. But you either need Porzingis to show that, yes, he is still that guy who you can build around, or if he plays well, but ultimately it isn't the right fit, well, that makes him a lot easier to move, and that makes him very desirable, and you will get something back that maybe does fit better. If Kristaps Porzingis has a bad series, that makes things so much more difficult going into what you all know from listening to us is the most important offseason this team has had or will have for a while. He has to play well, either for internal building or external building purposes. Um, that said, even if he does, just some of these role players have to consistently play well. You know Tim will do that. You know Tim Hardaway will step that up. Um, I, I know Tim Cato will write great stories too. I'm, I'm pro all Tims in this series. Uh, but bigger picture, I just don't know if they have enough against a team that, you know, going to last year's playoffs, this was the team a lot of people thought would win the title. They're better this year. They are pretty well suited in their build to play this Dallas team. I think it goes the same way. I think it's going to be Clippers in six. Well, I forgot that in our written combo, you picked, you know, uh, of the three, you said it was more likely that the Mavericks would finish this off. Have we have yeah. we talked you out of that at all? <laughs> Which I is mean, a funny thing look, to say coming on a Mavericks podcast to get to get talked out of, you know, predicting. Uh, I don't think we're trying to talk anybody any. any I'm, way, I'm definitely you know? not. I know. I know. I know. I feel you know. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying yeah, to be we're, we're, realistic you know. about what what the matchups look like and 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 how this team has has not improved as much as it should have over over the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I the regular season is always weird to me. And, you know, the things that you see in the regular season in a normal year, you have to take with a certain grain of salt. And then you saw this regular season. And with all the crap that the Mavericks went through, they still played interesting games against the Clippers. Probably, I would say, their most encouraging games when you look at all of them as a whole of any Western team all season. Um you know, just just off the top of my head, Tim, it's your team that you've seen every day. I've only seen them in, uh, here and there. But I just feel like there's something about the way Dallas's defense matches up with this Clippers offense that doesn't make any damn sense. But it just has been – I just have a weird feeling that the things that Dallas does worse defensively, the Clippers won't take advantage of. And – that just leads me to think that these games might get closer than they should be. And if they're closer than they should be, uh, who do you trust to close them out? And that just doesn't make me feel like confident that the Clippers are going to do everything to blow out the Mavericks like they did last year. So with that in mind, you had high scoring games in the playoffs last year between these two teams. You had low scoring games in the regular season between these two teams. I think that tenure going with the Clippers struggles to get to the free throw line, the ball handling uh, inconsistencies. I just see Dallas taking games one, four, six, and seven. Wow. Coming back from three, two. That is, that that would be a serious endorsement 
of a That's lot spicy. of things. Yeah, if, I mean, oh, if man. that happens, if that happens, they not only win this series, but they show the medal to come down from 3-2, that is, you don't want to say one series changes how you feel about a roster, but that would give you a lot of encouragement about this team. Because ultimately, you know, the other thing about regular season ball is anybody could beat, you know, with the right personnel, could beat anybody the right night. the right night. It isn't that Dallas will get swept in the series. They will win, again, I think they're winning two games at least. Because this Dallas team can beat any team in the NBA on the right night. That's what happens when you have Donjic and a good supporting cast. Not a great one, but a good one. The problem is doing it four times. If they can do that and do it in that formula, you feel a lot better about what this team could do if you're augmenting the roster versus overhauling it. When I rattled off the role players and said that, you know, I just was worried about their consistency, the, the two I didn't name were Finney Smith and Richardson. And I think that those are probably the, you know, once we get past Porzingis, you know, he he needs to be at his best. I, I think it probably does come down to those two. You know, they're the two best perimeter defenders outside of Maxi. Um, I'm just, you know, and honestly, Maxi's injury has me worried as well. Like that, that's part of this and, and part of my concerns. But, you know, I think Richardson and Finney Smith, I have a lot of faith in Finney Smith to be just superb throughout the series. Uh, I think he's he's shown consistently that that, you know, he's made yet another small step forwards this season. I think they really need a good season or a, a good series from Richardson. I, I really think that's needed. Um, and if they can get that, then yeah, I I, I like this team's chances more. I, I don't feel confident consistently that he's going to do that even on a game to game basis, much certainly not a series to series basis if, if they're able to advance. But, you know, I, I think those two, you know, you get four good games and they're the four right good games. Because sometimes it, it just comes down to timing. Like you, you only got to beat the team by one point four times, even if you lose by thirty in the other three. Um, so I, I think I think that's probably their their best path through for the Mavericks. But um, I'm going to say Clippers in seven, which puts us in the very strange spot where the uh, the Mavericks writers feel one, you know, feel the Clippers are the favorites and and vice versa. That that's extremely funny to me, and I don't know what it says about each respective team. Um, but yeah, I think that's where I'm at, and. Uh, yeah, I'm locking it in. I'm hitting the button. What what do they do on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, you locked it final in. Answer. Yeah, Re, where's final Regis? Answer. Where's Regis? We got to bring him in. Yeah, final answer. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm or, doing it. Yeah, yeah okay. seven. there you go. Or, you know, and yeah. a shout out to the the only, well, you know, to a great college football podcast, The Solid Verbal. They uh, they have their locks of the week and they just, you know, they lock it up. So you're you're locking up uh, Clippers. And lock seven. it up. There you go. Yeah, I'll go with that. But um like I said, I can see another outcome, but I, I think that's where I'm at. So I think that's it for us. I, I think this was fantastic. I feel like I learned something about how the series is going to look and how it's going to play out. Make sure you follow Law, uh, both his, you know, on The Athletic and, uh, you know, on Twitter as well. In everywhere, every, everywhere that you would like to be followed, Law, you know, probably not like down not the, the dark alley. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. But anywhere you would like to be followed, I would encourage you guys to follow Law, especially as this series comes up. And we'll have some more stories on The Athletic this week, some Mav stuff. I, I have one thing that I'm going to look into, Luca and KP and, and how they coexist on the court. And uh, then, then probably just a, a notebook kind of looking at some of the things the Mavericks are saying and, and some more notes that we're just paying attention to headed into Saturday's Game 1. Thanks for listening. See you guys there. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP.